Good morning. Shall we open our Bibles to James chapter 5? The whole of chapter of James. Starting on verse 1 to 6. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. The corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded treasures in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty, and you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. A bit of some harsh words. Anyone here rich? You know the definition of rich according to the Australian Taxation Office? Anyone who's an accountant? What's the definition of a rich person in Australia? According to the one that I saw, it's five million net worth. If you have a five million net worth, then you are rich. So you guys are safe. We're all middle class. This has nothing to do with us. We are safe. Anyone here who is an employer? Because it says some things about workers and harvesters, then we are safe. You can relax. This is not us. Nothing to do with us at all. Is it bad to be rich? Is it what the point of all of this? Now, when I was reflecting on this for the last four weeks, I've came, come across the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3. It says, If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And in, on the Good News translation, it's much more dramatic. It, I may give everything I have and even give my body to be burned. But I, if I have not love, this does me no good. So you can get rid of all your riches of that $5 million or that 90000 per annum that you have and you can burn yourselves, your clothes and your body, but it will not amount to nothing. So it is not all about riches, isn't it? There is something else. And I think it has something to do with the shiny things. Being self-indulgent. I think what James is telling us is that we are prone to me, me, and me. Because we live in a generation of me, me, and me. So how does it look like in this day and age? How does this 
self-indulgence and looking at shiny things look like in this day and age? And we remember, you guys have your pictures on a piano, right? At home, I we have pictures as well in my in our home. So this is a picture, a snapshot of that picture. It's just a few pictures in there which makes us all proud and happy about our accomplishments. So you see me there on the right lower quadrant, which is a bit sad because I just finished university and I still wasn't so sure and we weren't so rich. My dad was a pastor. Um, you know, it was not so sure where we're heading with this. You see the picture on the middle at the lower portion? I'm a bit smiling because I just finished medical school. And so I went to New York and got myself a brand new Toyota Corolla for the first time. I did not even drive in the Philippines. But I did not only get a first brand new car, but I got one with a silver, a gold medallion on the back, which says Toyota Corolla. So not just silver, but gold. We really like gold stuff, isn't it? The shiny stuff. Gold and silver. So that was me. That was everything that I have. I can put them in my wallet, the pictures, and the key to the house, the apartment that I stayed in New York, and that brand new Toyota Corolla. I can put them all in my pocket. Now, this is us this time around. Lots of pictures. Lots of stuff that we need to do. Lots of silver stuff and gold stuff that we need to do. You know that the bucket list is a new phenomenon? We never had it back then. But this time around, we all talk about our bucket list because we're all scrounging and scrambling to be self-indulgent and to like our golds and silver. You see, it's hard in this day and age. I do not say that, you know, it's really, really hard if, you're, if you were born in this day and age because you are exposed to all of this in this day and age. Anyone know about the word FOMO? Anyone? Yeah? It's called fear of missing out. We fear that, you know, it might, that life is too short, that we might have to climb, you know, five mountains in our lifetime. And if we only do three and then something happens to us, then we failed. That's a fear of missing out. And then, you know what happens to us as a generation? We become anxious because we have all these expectations and all these needs around us all of a sudden. Not just the pictures on the piano. It was all of this stuff. And so we find ourselves very, very anxious and that we fear of missing out. So we found ourselves in an epidemic of unmet needs and high expectations. Now this high expectation, now I tell you a story of a, a, a friend of ours who was in Melbourne doing her PhD um, studies. She's from the Philippines and she brought her nine-year-old child with her. And one day, mom said, oh, I noticed that you signed, off, signed up on a tennis championship team. But you don't play tennis. 
And the nine-year-old said, oh, I do play tennis. I play it in Wii. And I'm really good at it. You see, sometimes I think because we think that we're all good Twitter authors and that we're good photographers because we have the best picture on Facebook, that we are good, extraordinary. You are really, really good. You are special. You are extraordinary. And so we have these high expectations and we don't reach them and then we become anxious. We have an epidemic of anxiety. So if you don't get to know about the word FOMO, let me introduce the word buyer's remorse. Have you had buyer's remorse? Anyone? Putting that, you know, you're buying that cloth and then you have the tag and you keep the tag so that just in case you find that next best one or you can find it in Myers and then realize that there's a sale you can always bring it back and then buy the sale. It's buyer's remorse. Yeah. And one of the main things that we have buyer's remorse is because we have high expectations. We live in an epidemic of unmet needs and high expectations. Money is hard to handle. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not decay, destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you see that sequence? On the last sentence? Where your heart, where your treasure is, there your heart is. It's not the opposite. So where your money, if you follow the money, that's where your heart is. It's not the opposite. It's not like where your heart is, there you're going to spend things. You follow the money, and there your heart will be also. We have this last Friday, me and Rhoda had to sit down in front of the financial advisor. It's like bearing your soul to the financial advisor because they start talking about what do you want to do in life? What are your priorities of spending? It's like going in a confession box. It was painful, but it was also helpful for us to figure out where our superannuations were going, whether they're all ethical companies. Follow your money, and there your heart will be also. So if you want to know where your heart is at the moment, I suggest that you see Andrew Glava and Jared, who are both financial advisors. And they will tell you where your heart will be. Show me your bank statement, and I'll tell you who you are. Show me what you spent this week, and I'll tell you what your priorities are. Follow the money, and there your heart will be also. It says in here that for, for us, the first part of James chapter 5 says that we stay away from shiny things, and that we stop ourselves from self-gratification, and that we are here on earth to share the money and not hoard them is the simple way of putting things. 
Now, verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear by heaven or by earth or anything else. All you need to say is simple, yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. So if the problem is how we deal with money, how is it that all of a sudden we're talking about time? It says in here, therefore, you see that word? Therefore. So if that problem is this, therefore, this is what we talk about. How is it that we talk about money and then all of a sudden we talk about time? I say that it is all not about the question of time. It is a question of who we trust. Is it money or is it the Lord Jesus Christ we trust? You know, the, church, the choir will be singing later on, Promise Keeper, Lord you are always working in our midst. I say that James was able to say these things because James knew that Jesus is a promise keeper. And that whatever the Lord says, whether it's yes or yes, or no or no, Jesus can be trusted. And that's the reason why he is able to say, do not concentrate on the shiny things but concentrate on our Lord Jesus Christ. It is all about a question of trust. So in here, the words that come out from this passage for me in the last four weeks is the Lord's coming. Um, every once in a while during the week, me and Rhoda meet up in Myers or in the city. And every once in a while, I come ahead of us, ahead in the place and Rhoda's probably going and I can wait and I can be patient and not be impatient because I know that Rhoda will come. And then when I stay in Myers, I like going to the electronics because the electronics area is shiny. Lots of good stuff. But I've never, and Rhoda will correct me on this or not, uh, but they've never bought the shiny stuff because I knew that we were not going there in Myers because I'm going to buy shiny stuff. I knew that she was coming and that we have something else to do. And that's why I stay away from the shiny stuff. What is, what do we do when we think, you know, it's good to wait for five minutes or one hour for my wife to come. But what if, if, what is, what if it is that we need to wait our whole life and never bump into Jesus again on his second coming? What if this social 
space that we have is years and years or decades and decades and then we never in our lifetime meet our Lord Jesus Christ. What then? It's easy for me to wait for my wife who is coming in 10 minutes but what do we do when we have to wait for our Lord Jesus Christ who might even not be able to come in our lifetime? The next few passages tells us how and what, do, what we do in this kind of situation. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And a prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. And remember this, this is not, people are not powerful because they're righteous. People are not extra special because of something that they do. It is prayer that is powerful. Even Elijah was just a human being as we are. He became powerful because he prayed, not the other way around. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, gave rain and the earth produced its, its crops. If we do not trust money, if we trust only our Lord Jesus Christ, then how do we do it? How do we do it? Let me tell you a story of how we came to Australia. About 20 years ago, when we were sitting and visiting our, um, my in-laws, my in-law, sister-in-law in Boston, Rhoda and I said a prayer that Sunday because we weren't so sure. We were, I was doing interviews in Arizona. I was talking to people. And we weren't so sure where we were heading. And so we prayed a prayer on that particular Sunday. This is the verse, the passage that the pastor um, gave that particular Sunday. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And while we make your name great, and you will be a blessing... I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be best through you. A regular passage, isn't it? But because we prayed a specific prayer, we were able to get this from that passage. Go from your country was our Lord's response to our prayer. The specific answer was there. And I will show you. And, in, and lo and behold, somebody was just talking about, us, about Australia. You see, if you do not pray, then you do not have the capacity sometimes to hear and put the dots together. Because sometimes, most of the time, in my experience, prayer and reading the word of our Lord is where our Lord talks to us. In where the invisible becomes visible. When the 
choir later on sings, even though you're not here and not visible in our midst, our Lord is in our midst. The invisible becomes the visible. And so for us, we held our hands and we shook because our Lord spoke to us that particular Sunday. This particular week, I had to um, take on a leadership role, a new leadership role in the Royal Hobart Hospital, a big one. And so I was just doing, you know, I do daily devotion but it, and random websites. And on a particular website, it talks about uh, Samuel and David being crowned king. And then David having a fight with Abner, General Abner, who is, the, who is loyal to Saul. And so, just without going to the specifics of it, the Lord said, sometimes your leadership will be there and people will be against you and people will be struggling, you know, you'll be struggling, but I am going to be with you. You see, I, I did not even pray that prayer, but our Lord Jesus Christ spoke. And because the Lord knew that he needed, that I needed him on that particular occasion, God spoke to me. You see, that's how we make the invisible visible, is that we pray and that we read the Lord's words. Now, Paul, where's Paul? Paul mentioned to us this passage a little while ago. And I think if you're going to remember anything, this is the passage. This is it. And so I promise that we, me and Paul did not coordinate things. We did not text each other and say this is going to be our verse for this Sunday. I, I believe that it's somebody higher than us. And that we do not do things on our own. And so if you, there is a verse that you need to remember... This is it, verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing. Let them sing songs of praise. What is it that we do to make us trust our Lord Jesus Christ? How do we do it? Now, when we, um, when we go eat together as a family, we always pray beforehand. And one of the things that we asked Kayleen after school is this. Was there anything good that happened in school? And was there anything not so good that happened in school? So remember that verse 13? When you're in trouble, you pray. When you're thankful, pray. So I do the same thing. So I follow that, verse 13. You ask what is good and what is not so good? The first question is what's good is to avoid us being depressed because it makes us praise and thank our Lord. The second part of the equation is what's not so good is to make us not arrogant. It makes us humble and that there are things that we need to ask our Lord's prayer for. When you have your first date, with your fellow person, one of the things that you can do is ask yourselves, what's not so good in your life and what's not so good? Maybe on the fourth date. Maybe not on the first date. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 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 
but also when you go home, when you're lying down in bed, why don't you also do the two questions? What's not so good this last 24 hours? And what's so good? It prevents you from being arrogant, but it also prevents you from being depressed. And that our Lord is saying, James is telling us, prayer encompasses everything in your life, the good and not so good. The last, the last verse in, uh, the last two verses of James chapter 5 is this. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Anyone know what duologue means? Anyone knows about duologue? Because I feel like that when I try to talk to somebody who I want to show them the error of their ways. Right? It's monologue times two. Meaning, you're listening, but you're not listening. You're just ready to put in your sense word. As soon as they stop talking, you will talk. You don't hear what they're talking about. It's just everybody's going this way. That's duologue. That's not dialogue. Because I want to show them the error of their ways, and I need to tell them. You know, when you go to work, they're always going to be that person is going to be problematic. It's not going to be perfect. There's going to be always that person that runs, let your blood run. Um, you know, it makes you, your day not so good when you're at work. And one of the things that I've learned again from life is, again, this verse 13. If anyone among you in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. And what I do is this. I always, when I have that person in front of me, what is it that I'm thankful for, for that particular person? What is it? There must be something, even though that person that you are fighting with every time we go to work. And the other thing is, what is it that we need to talk about? Then I ask them, what's good for this person and what's not so good and what's not something that we need to talk about? You see, Jesus is in our midst. You see, Jesus is the promise keeper. And that's the reason why James died a martyr's death about 20 years after writing the book of James. That's the reason why he wanted to tell us this. Is that because he believed that Jesus is in our midst working we, even if we're not able to see him. He is in our midst because he is the promise keeper of our lives. Even though Jesus is not here, he is here. You see, it's not all about shiny things. It's not all about us. It is all about Jesus. 